this morning, let's take our Bible and uh, make our way to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter number 2 is where we're going to find our text this morning. And uh, as you know, it is Mother's Day, and uh, it is a special day. We recognize our mothers. And um, I don't always preach a uh, message surrounded by whatever day it is. Sometimes that will happen. Uh, as a preacher, sometimes I don't really like being constrained to preach something specific on a certain day, but I think on there's occasions that it is uh, necessary and it is beneficial. Uh, most often, as I'll begin soon, an exposition through a book, uh, I'm not there yet, but we're going to do that very soon. Here probably within the next um, two or three weeks, we'll begin one. Uh, but this morning, I wanted to bring a message that I thought would be beneficial and uh, I pray also encouraging uh, about Moses' mother. We're going to look at Moses' mother this morning in Exodus chapter number 2. And uh, we're going to look at verse 1 down through verse number 10. And I pray that as you read through this text and we look at it together that uh, we would be encouraged and uh, see how God used uh, the mother of Moses in such a mighty way, both in his life but also in the grander picture of redemptive history. And uh, so let's look at our text here this morning and uh, may we glean from God's word. Notice the Bible says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, who here this morning has heard of a man named Moses? Anybody? I mean, Moses is a uh, pretty well-known figure, well-known man. Um, Even those outside of the church have probably heard of Moses. There's been movies made about him. There's been all sorts of different things uh, about Moses brought to our attention. So Moses, he's a prominent figure that we know quite a bit about. He's one of the most recognized and reverenced people in all of the Old Testament. When you think of the Old Testament, we commonly hear of Moses or the prophets and Moses' name is right there uh, at the top of the list. Why is that? Well, God would use Moses uh, to bring the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. God, through Moses, brought the Old Testament law to His Israelite people. Uh, In fact, the law is commonly called the law of Moses because Moses was the man through which it came. You see, God used Moses to lead His people out of Egypt and through the wilderness for many years before they would eventually come to the promised land. And as you study and read through the life of Moses, uh, there in Exodus and on through Deuteronomy, 
You find that Moses was resilient. Moses was a faithful man. Moses was used in a mighty way. There's a lot of scripture uh, that Moses is included in in the Old Testament. But let me ask you now, how many of us know of Moses' mother? Do we know what her name is? Moses' name is very prominent. What is the name of Moses' mother? Well, Moses' mother, her name is only mentioned two times in your Bible. Once in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 20, and another in Exodus chapter, I mean, excuse me, Numbers chapter 26 and verse 59. Moses' mother's name is Jochebed. Jochebed. That's not a name you'll hear nowadays, but it's unique. It ought to resonate and maybe store in your mind easy. Jochebed. Her name literally means Lord of glory, glory of the Lord, or Jehovah is Gloria, so she has a precious name, but she doesn't get a whole lot of attention. She doesn't near get as much attention as Moses does, but Jochebed is of vital importance to the background of Moses' life. She's a woman and a mother who truly feared the Lord, as evident in this passage that we're looking at. She was a mother during a very difficult, very trying time in the history of Israel. And in the context of this passage, Jochebed gives birth to Moses when the Israelite people are under a very hard and rigorous bondage underneath the Egyptians. They have no freedom. They have no wealth. The Egyptians' thumb is pressing upon the people of Israel. And yet, despite this terrible circumstance and time in Israel's history, she manifests a motherhood that will impact the life of the very man that God will use to liberate and free the Israelites from this Egyptian bondage. Moses' mother, though it may seem she's insignificant in the realm of all Scripture, She is very significant in how God uses her, both in the life of Moses and in redemptive history. Now, I believe that the importance of our mothers simply cannot be overstated. Our development, our nurture, our guidance flow from the heart of many mothers. And while no mother or no father is perfect, our mothers have major influence on our lives from the very time that we take our first breath. Now, I'll testify today that I'm thankful for my own mother. I hope today that you'll say that you're thankful for your mothers and that you will honor them today if you still have them with you in your life. And if they, by God's providence, have gone on before you, maybe take some time to reflect and think on the mother that God gave you and thank Him for those good things. But this morning, I want to focus on a specific mother in Scripture, and that is Moses' mother, She doesn't get a whole lot of recognition, but her impact is great. And notice with me in our text and in our notes, three overall things I want to bring out from her. I want you to see, number one, the perspective that she has for her child. The perspective that she has for her child. How she views this baby. How she views Moses as she gives birth to him in this time uh, that was very trying. And we notice firstly that her affection for Moses was natural. 
It was a motherly affection. It was a motherly affection, one of compassion, one of care, one of love. And friend, a natural affection is that which mothers ought to have for their children. Now, how is it that we see a natural motherly affection in Jochebed for Moses? Well, look at verse number 2 for a moment. We find that the woman conceived, the woman, her name's not listed here, but we find it in later passages. The woman, Jochebed, conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. You notice that she sees Moses as a fine child. Now, the word fine here refers to pleasing, beautiful, a newborn child. And what you'll find is that this word translated for fine is is the same word translated as good that God used in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. You remember we read that after God had created, that He saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was what? It was very good or very fine, it was beautiful, it was complete, it was His creation. And so the mother of Moses sees Him as precious, as beautiful, fearfully made by the Creator. Now we know that all life is such as this, that all life should have natural affection given towards it. Now children, I believe, are the precious gift of God, and as the gift of God, they must be cherished. And the Bible expresses to us that children are a blessing from the Lord Himself. The psalmist says in Psalm 127 and verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And so we we cherish our children. But beyond the fact that Moses was a fine child created by God... Jochebed's natural affection here for her son, it is magnified against the backdrop of a terrible and heinous edict from Pharaoh. Her affection for her child is magnified against the backdrop of her life and what she's experiencing as a slave in Egypt. You see, at the time that Jochebed has her child, there is a command from the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, the one who rules them, to kill every male baby. Every male baby, to kill them. Now, we look backwards for a moment to give you the backdrop and context in Exodus chapter 1. As I was reading through this earlier this week, we read in chapter 1, and you look at verse 15 and 16 for a moment. The Bible says, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of, the, one of whom was named Shephira and the other Puah, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthing stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. Now, put yourself in this scenario for a moment. Imagine you live in a land where the ruling king makes a law, makes a command that you must kill every male child that comes from the Hebrew people. He said, well, why would Pharaoh give such an order? Well, one, because he's a wicked coward who uh, did not understand the significance of the Jewish people. 
He, we read that he was one that did not know Joseph, and Joseph was well respected in Egypt, and, and, and so the Hebrews had great blessing in Egypt for a certain time. But you look at verse 7, and the Bible tells us of chapter 1 and verse 7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So the population of the Hebrews is growing and growing and growing. And Pharaoh's worry is that they're becoming so vast that if an enemy comes against us, they might join them and then they'll turn on us. He's, he views them as a threat. And so with his fear and his tyranny, he orders this strict, hard slavery upon them and he gives the order to kill all male babies. But praise God that the Hebrew midwives, they had conviction about them that they would not give heed to such an edict. If you look at verse number 17 through 19 for a moment and read this with me. The Bible says, but the midwives feared God. That's enough right there. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strongly. And because the midwives feared God... He gave them families. So you see a contrast here. These godly women refused to carry out this evil order of Pharaoh. You want us to kill all the male babies? We fear God and we're not going to do that. We fear God and we are not going to do that. And so God blesses them in this instance. But then we see in verse 22... That Pharaoh decides, fine, if the Hebrew midwives will not do this, I'll just have my own people do it. Now notice what he says in verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born of the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So imagine the the, the terror of this time for anyone who is a mother. One by one, you gave birth uh, uh, to your baby. And if it was a male, the Egyptians came and took that baby and just tossed it into the Nile. How heart-wrenching this must have been. I want you to understand, friend, that the assault upon children has been an ongoing battle stirred by Satan for a long time. This was thousands of years ago. We read through the Old Testament that pagans would offer their children in sacrifice to the false god Molech. And you read in Leviticus chapter number 20 and verse 2 that God warns the children of Israel, do not partake in such a thing. We read in the days of Jesus' infancy, the the assault of Satan against the birth of the Messiah through, through Herod, the king of that day. The Bible tells us in Matthew 2 and verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So there you have another assault. It's an unnatural affection uh, throughout our world and nation even now. 
that wages war against human life. What we find is that this natural affection seen in Jochebed is not seen in everyone, especially the wicked. We find an unnatural affection through those who carry out abortion and just simply careless parenting. They have, they have no care at all for their children. I have seen it firsthand. We used to run a bus ministry in Danville, Kentucky. And so many kids would get on that bus just eager for someone to care for them, to love them, and just show them some kind of affection because it was evident they had none at home. Some of them would come hungry, starving, as if they hadn't eaten in a couple days. There's like that stuff like that happens all over our own nation. But then we see further the, the issue of, of abortion. I know that's somewhat of a, a hot topic uh, even at this present moment. I want you to understand this, that when a mother chooses to abort her conceived child in the womb, it is murder of innocent life. There is no sugarcoating this issue. Now, I know it's, it's something that people tend to keep quiet about because it gets real political. But may I say to you that abortion is not a political issue. It's a moral issue. It's a moral issue. And I don't care what side of the political spectrum anyone falls. If he's a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent, if he's for abortion, I'm not for him. That's my own conviction. I pray that you would have a conviction against abortion where this, for this is. Now, understand this. Though abortion is a heinous sin, it is a sin that can be forgiven. It is a sin that can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. But we must not sugarcoat the reality of what it is. It is an evil uh, characteristic of depraved humanity as Paul characterizes humanity and says in the last days in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 3 that men would be heartless, heartless, without compassion. Some translations will say without natural affection is how that will be translated. Now I am thankful for the current push to expose and to limit abortion. It should be abolished. That is what I believe. But man, we see the opposition from the other side so, so aggressively. Those in higher-ups. In times past, Alyssa Milano, who is Milano, who's a Hollywood actor, she pushed against uh, uh, getting rid of abortion with her own movement. And she said, Our reproductive rights are being erased until women have legal control over our own bodies We just cannot risk pregnancy. Join me by not having sex until we get bodily autonomy back. I'm calling for a sex strike. Pass it on. I say, praise God. Maybe they'll be pure, a little bit more pure in their life. Even right now, present women on TikTok say hookup culture will be absolutely decimated if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Praise God. Hookup culture is evil. And it's normal in our society that, oh, I can just hook up with whoever I want. And I want you to know something that abortion does. Abortion uh, enables that mindset that I can just be as immoral as I want to be. And if I get pregnant, I can just abort it. It's a travesty in our nation. It is the greatest holocaust the world has ever seen. The heartlessness of man towards precious children has been ongoing. And we see it all the way back in the days of... Moses, Jochebed. But praise God that we look at Jochebed and she has a natural affection of motherly care for Moses. She conceives at a time when aborting her son is the law. 
but her natural affection would not give in. And may I say to you as Christians, when the law goes against God's law, God's law always prevails. Resistance to tyranny in those sorts of things must be resisted. Notice with me, letter B, that not only was her affection natural, her affection for Moses was nourishing. You see, with this perspective that she views Moses with this compassion, she naturally nurtures and nourishes her precious boy. She takes care of this precious, innocent, helpless newborn. And we find that she did this for at least three months before she could no longer hide him. Now, when a baby is that young, what does he or she need more than anything? They need nourishment. They need care from their mother and their father. Precious nourishment. I'll never forget bringing home our babies. The first one we brought home, which is Jubilee, bring her home, and I'm scared to death because I don't know what's about to happen. (laughs) Uh, First baby, you're trying to figure it out. You don't have a clue, and thank goodness for Bethany and, and her mama skills and knowing how to take care of babies. She had several nieces and nephews already, so she had kind of been kind of acquainted with how to handle babies. But, man, I did not know. I was scared. Anytime I held a baby and it started crying, I thought, man, I'm, I'm hurting him. I'm doing something wrong. Praise God for mamas. Us daddies don't have it all together. When it, it takes us a little time to get, get used to it. But then the second one comes. David came along, and you kind of have an idea how it works. You get a little bit more comfortable. Well, we let a little, a little bit more years pass between them, and then we have Spurgeon comes along, our third, and man, we're reminded of how much nourishment that baby needs. The baby needs to be fed at various hours through the night. Burping the baby is crucial. Rocking them to sleep is often needed. I remember Bethany being instant in care. She would wake up and be up through the night caring for this precious child. There I am asleep. There's not a whole lot I could do unless she really needed me to do something else, but My heart cherishes how she cares for our children. My heart cherishes how mothers care for their babies. Now, you consider that this kind of nourishment was needed for baby Moses. Here he is helpless, innocent, can do nothing to help himself, entirely dependent upon Jochebed. And here's the reality is that when we had our babies, we had no law forbidding us of bringing our children home. We had nothing to fear. We had supplies at home to take care of them. But did Jochebed have those blessings? No. Did she have all the amenities that we have? No. Did she have the freedom that we have? No, she didn't. Put in her, in her shoes and imagine how difficult, how traumatic, how anxious this situation must have been for her. The slavery. The demand, the death warrant upon them. But yet she still nourished her child. And Stephen even makes note of this. In Acts 7 and verse 20 in his great sermon, he says, At that time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. That word brought up is also translated in the King James as nourished. He was cared for by his mother because she loved her child. Because she saw her child in a certain way. This was her perspective. And I encourage our Christian mothers to view your children in that way. Look at them with love. Look at them with compassion. Understanding how important your role is in their life. Now I know as children get to where they're running around stuff, man, they can, they can wear you down. <laughs> Anybody else understand that? They can wear you down. But they're still so precious. And in such great need of our care, especially that of the mother. 
Notice with me, number two, we see not only the perspective she has for her child, we see the protection she gives to her child. The protection she gives her child. And here's the protection she gives. She guarded him. She guarded him from Egypt's destruction. Now, what was the king's man? Take, command, take every male child and cast it into the Nile. My heart aches just reading such a thing. Imagine how many mothers in that day suffered and wept as their baby boys were ripped from their arms not long after they were born and just thrown into the river. They could do nothing to stop it. Out of their power. No doubt they probably did what they could to try to protect their child. They probably held on as long as they could, hid as long as they could, but ultimately destruction came to them. But their motherly instinct was to protect their child. And that is the instinct God gives mothers. Even in the realm of creation with animals, they protect their young. There was a time we had a family get together at someone's house and it was near a pond and I was just a young boy and over by the pond there was a few geese just hanging out over there. And in my curiosity, I thought, I'm going to go check these geese out because I was always interested in animals. Well, I get closer and closer to that goose. And little did I know that she was sitting on some eggs, her offspring. You know what they do if you get too close to a goose who's near its offspring? She raised them wings, and she looked ten times bigger than she was when I first got there, started hissing at me. Not only she hissed, she chased after me. Needless to say, I was afraid of geese for a long time. But that was her instinct. Her instinct was to protect her young. And this is exactly what Jochebed does in verse 2. She hid him for three months. She wasn't afraid of the king's command and what it might cost her. She just wanted her child to live. And here's the important central aspect to her actions. At the core of her decision to protect her child, not only was her instinct as a mother to protect her child, but was also the most important element in the life of the people of God. That element is faith. Faith. Now, Jochebed doesn't get a whole lot of territory in the Scriptures, but we read of her in the New Testament. Go with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter number 11 for a moment. Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews 11 is often called the Hall of Faith. It is a chapter in the Scriptures that emphasizes faith, shows us the importance of faith, the foundation of faith, the examples of faith in those who have gone on before us. And we read of the faith of Jochebed. Though she's not mentioned by name, her and her husband are mentioned. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Why is it that Jochebed acts the way she acts and does what she does? Because of her faith in the one true God. Her faith in the Almighty. You see, Jochebed knew the one true God, and her faith was greater than her fear of the king. And may I say that that ought to be the conviction of all of us as Christians, that our faith is greater than fear of whatever any man may do to us. 
David wrote in Psalm 56, 11, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And may I say there's a great principle here for our mothers is that the need of this day are mothers of faith. Mothers of faith. Mothers who know the Lord, who walk with the Lord, and in turn are showing that to their own children. This truly should be our conviction. But you understand that, that Jochebed here, she gives us an example for all motherhood and really all parenthood as well. A mother's responsibility is to protect her children. As, as we evaluate Scripture and the world, mothers as well as fathers, since parenting is a, is a teamwork, is a joint effort, children need protection in two ways. They need protection physically, first of all. One time David decided he's going to run to the road. What's a good parent supposed to do? Run after that child and get him away from the road, right? We don't let them play in the road. We warn them about things. We tell them about things. We try to instruct them. We want them to be be safe from danger that might be invoked by themselves or by others. We have to be on the watch for our children, even in regards to other people who might have evil intentions. We see that children are being targeted every day by evil people. But not only are we to protect them physically, we are also to protect them spiritually. You understand that Egypt in Scripture is a type and picture of the world around us. What does the world want to do to our children? Devour them. Devour them. The world wants to destroy our children. You say, well, how do you see that? Just look at what is coming to their minds day in and day out. Not just physically, through abortion and other sorts of means of that, but the world wants to spiritually influence the minds and hearts of our children, friend. The most precious thing that they have, their minds and their hearts, are constantly under attack day after day through various means. And little by little, children are being swept away into the deceptions and corruptions of the world. Now, one thing that I am truly thankful for with my mother is that she, raising me, would pull me aside and sit down and be involved in my life and warn me about things. Things like drugs. Things like illicit sex. Things like some of the music I listen to. What I allow myself to watch. She was very on top of those sorts of things. Now, in the moment when she's correcting me as a child, you know, as a child, you think you know everything, and I'm thinking, hey, Mom, whatever. But right now, I look back in hindsight and say, thank you, God, for a godly mother. That she got involved in my life. That she did not just sit back and let me go my own way and say, I hope you turn out the best. Friend, understand, that's the modern parenting approach. That we just give our kids over to the world and just expect them to turn out as good Christians. Understand this. Parents, you play a vital role in the development of your children. You must instruct them in the Word of God. You must warn them of the dangers. And do everything you can to help them. Christian parents need to be actively involved in the impressionable minds of their children. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. They need to be rooted. Everything in this world, understand, it is against Christ and it is constantly tugging at the hearts of our children. Constantly. 
John said in 1 John 2, 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's of the world. Friend, Satan wants the next generation. And little by little, he is getting them. Mothers and fathers, we must take our children back from Egypt. We must protect them from Egypt. You see, Jochebed did everything he could to protect Moses. But we must note, in her situation, it comes to a point in verse 3, where Jochebed could hide him no longer. She could hide him no longer. Now, babies do sleep a lot as newborns, but then they get a little bit older, about Spurgeon's age, and they're pretty hard to hide. Try keeping a baby quiet for a certain measure of time when uh, he's riled up. You can't hide him. You can imagine the fear of her being found. What would she do? What could she do with this precious child to protect him? Now, here's another important principle for motherhood and parenting in general. Not only did she do everything she could to save him from Egypt's destruction, but let her be, this is an important principle, she gave him into the providence of God. She gave him to the providence of God. She's trusting God with him. Now, here's Jochebed takes action. She knew would help her child the best way she could. In verse 3, what do we find? The Bible says that she took for him a basket made of bulrushes. Now, the word for basket here is the same Hebrew word that is used for ark that Noah built. So, so God tells Noah to make an ark. It's the same Hebrew word here, okay? And so it's a chest-like structure, and Noah's ark was made of wood, while Moses's was made of these bulrushes, and Jochebed, she daubed it with this bitumen and pitch. And essentially what she's done is made a smaller version of what Noah made. Certainly if what Noah made could float and save life from a global flood, certainly a smaller version would keep her baby afloat on the Nile River. And so she made it float, and the Bible says she put the child in it. Now, I want you to think about what she's doing for a moment. When you just process and think about what she's doing, would you lay your three-month-old baby in a small floating basket into the Nile River filled with various other dangers lurking within? I'd have a lot of reservation about doing that. A lot of reservation. Now, we're not sure what her long-term plan was. But it seems that she's trying to take this day by day, doing what she, son, she can to keep her son alive. And in verse 4, what do we read? There's a little guardian watching her little brother. It's his big sister. The Bible says his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, I'm sure that if we had to do such a thing with Spurgeon, I can just imagine Jubilees running by and trying to keep an eye on where he, that basket is, trying to keep an eye on where he is. But here's the one I want you to think deeper about with Jochebed and doing what, she, what she's doing in this scene. She's having to trust the Lord with her precious baby. She's having to trust the Lord with her precious baby. There wasn't anything else she could do for him. Did she wish to keep him longer? I'm sure. Did she exhaust her mind of all possibilities? Most likely. But it comes to a point here where her protection of her child must be yielded into the hands of her sovereign God. And did you know that this is true for parents today? 
There's only so much a parent can do for their child until they must be trusted into the providence of God. Now, I know there's coming a day when my kids, they're going to get older and they're going to leave my home. Wish I could keep them forever. By then, I may be ready to get rid of them. I don't know. (laughs) But I can't bear the fact of them not being with me right now. But there comes a point in every parent's life that you have to just trust the providence of God with your children. You're limited in what you can do. We can't protect them forever. Now, we can do all that we can within our ability, but ultimately their lives are in the hands of the Lord, no matter how much we do. Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. You know what the principle is there? You can ready your horse as much as you want, but victory ultimately is in the Lord. Safety is in the Lord. Just like you can do everything you can to keep yourself safe, put your seatbelt on, get in your car, but that doesn't guarantee you'll live if you're in a car wreck. Ultimately, our lives are in the hands of our providential God. And the greatest protection for your children ultimately is in God's own hand. So Jochebed is trusting God's providence with Moses. She has protected him as best she could in her situation, which leads to a blessing that she never would have expected. Notice with me number three this morning, the privilege she had with her child. Now here's the privilege that she had with her child. She was given more time. Time was given. Time with Moses was given to Jochebed, something she thought she was out of. Now, after Moses is in this ark in the river, we see that he is found by another woman, and this woman shows compassion. You look at verse 5 and verse 6. Now, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, seeing a crying baby in a basket in the river would melt most of our hearts. I'm sure it would. But we wouldn't really know what to expect from Pharaoh's daughter, whose father ordered the murder of all male Hebrew boys. But as she opens that basket and looks inside and sees Moses crying, she has compassion on him. You understand that this is the providence of God. Watching over Moses. Watching over Moses. Because Moses has has a, 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 a predetermined mission from God that he has no clue about. He's just an infant. God is going to use him in a mighty way. So it doesn't end here. We read in verse 7 through verse 8, the Bible says, Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women? to nurse the child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So so the girl went and called the child's mother. The providence of God. Think of this. The providence of God. Oh, how sweet His providence is in our lives, in this instance. Then in verse 9, we find Pharaoh's daughter tells Moses, his real mother, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. Now, think, think of what's going on here. Jochebed trusts this baby into the hands of God in a basket in the Nile River, and God brings her son back to her to have more time legally. Can you imagine the thrill and relief of her? Not only does she get a little more time with her child, but she can have this time knowing that this is 
open and safe that she's allowed to have Moses this way. It gets better. We see how her faith was rewarded in having her child, but catch this, she gets paid to take care of her own child. Pharaoh's daughter says, I'll give you your wages. Now, I don't know about you, but when children came into our life, our bank account decreased. It did not increase. The cost of diapers, the cost of formula, the cost of everything else for the son, the food alone. But nursing, and we know nursing is free, of course, and she was his mother, so she was already nursing him. She wasn't getting paid beforehand, but now she gets paid to feed her baby and to nurture her baby in safety. I imagine Jochebed cherished every moment with Moses, knowing that he was going to have to leave eventually, that her time was limited. And it would be Moses who later would write in Psalm 90 and verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. May I say the principle is this, is that we ought to cherish every moment with our children. Some days are better than others. Some days they act, act crazy, drive you nuts. But even those days, we have to bring our mind back to the reality. We're not going to have them forever. Cherish them. We've got a lot of kids, a lot of parents in here. Cherish them. Cherish them. Spend time with them. Our time's limited. And notice with me, letter B, and lastly in our notes, we see that with Moses, as he's given over to the Egyptians and he's eventually raised, that we see that in Moses that truth was instilled in him as an Israelite. Now, we're not told how long Jacob had got to nurse Moses. The duration of nursing varies. I have read that sometimes in ancient culture, children were nursed all the way to three years old even. Maybe even four. That's not real common today. But in ancient cultures, that was, that was true. Now, given that scenario, let's say Moses gets two or three years with his mama. Can you teach a child anything in that young years? Sure can. We began teaching Jubilee and David memory verses at the age of two. They know Romans 3.23, Ephesians 2.8, John 3.16. Now, whether Moses was there with his mother that long or not, it could have just been maybe a year or less. We don't know. One thing we do know is that Moses knew who his people were. Even though he became a son, an adopted son of this Egyptian What do we read in verse 11? That on one day when Moses had grown, he went out to his people. He knew who his people were. He knew that he was a Hebrew, that he wasn't an Egyptian. And Moses would later meet the one true God in a more miraculous way than any of us have ever known. Moses would be a mighty man of faith and proved by his life in renouncing Egypt. Go with me back to Hebrews again. We see the connection. Hebrews 11, verse 24 through verse 27. I want you to see this. Hebrews 11, verse 24 through verse 27. The Bible says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured 
as seeing him who is invisible. What do you find here? A mother of faith and a child of faith. Or at least he grew up to have such faith. And friend, it would be through Moses, Moses being used to bring God's people out of bondage into their own land, through Joshua eventually. It would be Moses' people, the Israelites, through which the Messiah, Savior of sinners, would come into the world. You understand that Savior is Jesus Christ. That Savior is Jesus alone. Jesus alone gave His life blood and died on the cross as an atonement for sinful people. Was buried and rose again the third day. And all who know Him, all who believe in Him, all who are born again in Him, have eternal life and forgiveness of all sin. And here, here's what we find this. In the whole of the redemptive history is this faithful man called Moses that God used. But behind Moses is a faithful mother who put herself on the line to love her child, protect her child, and do all that she could for him. She's an example to all mothers. Though she's not mentioned much, she plays a vital role even in the story of redemption. Now, mothers have a far greater impact than we realize. They are gifted with the privilege and opportunity to influence their children in an eternal way. And we see this through Scripture. Timothy's mother impacted him towards salvation. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul writes to Timothy and says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Charles Spurgeon said of his mother, I cannot tell you how much I owe to the solemn word of my good mother. Our mothers are a gift to us. And I believe it's good that there's a day that we recognize them, that we honor them, and show them the love that they rightfully deserve. So Moses' mother, Moses' mother is an example. She had a compassionate, loving perspective of her child. She did everything she could to protect her child. She entrusted her child to God's providence. And ultimately, she was rewarded with time with her child. Today... I'm thankful for my mother, thankful for the mothers in here, for the ladies of this church, and I hope today that you understand how precious and important you are in this church and your family and in society. Let's stand to our feet and we'll have a closing song this morning.